welcome to Wildcards. We created this podcast to get under the skin and to listen to incredible people that have gone on to do some pretty special things in their industries that they sit in. We wanted to speak to them about the game-changing moves that they've made, the companies they've created. We want to listen, most importantly, to the mistakes that they've made and how they've learned from them and how they've been able to create some special things within the industries that they sit in. Find out today what makes a wildcard. So today, super excited to be introducing not only my good friend, Paul Minter, who uh, I serve with in the British Army, actually, and he's our fifth guest on our podcast. So really excited for you guys to be um, listening into his story. Phenomenal story. Uh, so I'm really keen for you to sort of take the time to listen about what he's been up to and what he's up to next. Now, this is a trigger warning for anyone uh, listening to this podcast because Paul discusses mental health and suicide. If you find any type of uh, this sort of content triggering, um, I would advise you guys to take give it a miss. If you've been affected at all by the army uh, or in the army uh, and any of these topics, then I suggest that you um, can get help at Paul's charity, which is head-up.org.uk, where you can get... Um, help from the or visit the Samaritans for that matter or mind we'll put the links up on the podcast and as I said um, super confused to listen but Paul is talking about some triggering points here so if you'd want to give this podcast a miss that's absolutely fine as well thank you so episode number five of wild cards um, really excited today to have not only someone that I massively admire but a good friend of mine um, who's moved to Brighton very recently, I serve with in, in the military, um, Paul Minter, good to have you on board. Hi Alex, yeah, really good to be here. Nice. Um, so Paul, I always like to start these things by digging into a bit of, uh, you know, how things got going for you and you obviously joined the military very similar sort of time to myself, kind of left school, went into the, went into the army. I would love to sort of let the listeners understand a bit about why and how you made the choice of joining the military. So over to you. Yeah, I I remember being about eight years old. I I was brought up in East London, and um, I remember being about eight just watching programmes. I think there was a a commando um, programme on ITV. I remember watching it and seeing them running around and the camaraderie together, pushing themselves. And I just remember thinking, that's what I want to do, even at such a young age. And I didn't know anyone um, from the armed forces growing up whatsoever, not even a family friend. But so like, no one was no one in, no one in your your family was in the military. No, all. no one from my family, no friends of the family. So I had no one to sort of bounce mm. off or talk to. Um, just sort of the, the fantasy in my head and the the idea of what it would be like. Um, and it stayed with me until I was like about sixteen years old. And then as soon as I was sixteen, I left school. I said to my mum, "That's it. I'm going off and joining the Royal Marines." And got persuaded to go to a uh, college first. So I moved to Newcastle. And joined a five-star engineer, engineering course, and about two months in, I was like, "Mum, this is not what I want to be doing. <laughs> you know, yeah. my, my calling is out out in the army." And and during this time, the uh, the the second Gulf War kicked mm. off, and I was just watching it on the news and just being like, "I want to be out there. I want to be part of it." Mm. I don't know why I had that that pull and that desire to do it, mm. um, but I did. And uh, yeah, I did. I, I didn't join the Royal Marines in the end. I ended up joining the army. Mm. Ended up going to. Uh, the House of Cavalry Regiment, where I met yourself. Mm. Uh, but 
So when was that? How was what? How old were you when you did that? So sixteen years old, well, sixteen coming into seventeen. Yeah. Um, two thousand and three when I started training. Two thousand and four by the time I got well, coming up for two thousand and four. By the yeah. time I got to the regiment in Windsor, yes, I do remember. Yeah, because yeah, I've been in. I think I've been in Windsor for about two years or a year just before you. I think. Yeah, really interesting. So you actually came in as the boys are all coming back from from Iraq. Telic, what was it? Probably one or two or something like yeah, that. Yeah, te- Telic one. I think they'd been yeah. back for a few months now. Really? Yeah, but you know they had a pretty tough time out there, didn't mm. they? And um, they were still kind of reeling from everything they'd done. And it was D Squadron, which is what we were both in, mm. weren't we? So you know, um, went straight into a pretty hardcore squadron of guys who had just come back just from come war. Yeah, no, interesting. So when you obviously, you know, you made that call, you wanted to join, you joined, you got in. Talk to us about, like, you know, I know, but it'd be good to sort of understand your experiences with the military. How did you get on? Because you, you you did 18 years, a lot more than what I did. I did, I ended up doing, what, six and a half, seven years. Um, and, you know, 18 years is a significant, long. you know, that's a long time in anything. How was your, you know, your introduction into the regiment? And be good to sort of understand how you, how you sort of got to a place where, you carried on going for 18 years. What what was it something that was burning for you to kind of do the full career of 22 years or was it something else? Well, when I joined, um, obviously Iraq had kicked off. Mm. Um, not too long after, a couple of years after, Afghanistan was going on. And so it's all the operational tours were happening. And that's that's really, really my desire to join in the armed forces. I really wanted to be in the thick of everything. Mm. Um, so I joined... I joined at the perfect time for myself, and I was—I think I was 20 years old when I got. We were the very first ones into Afghanistan, into Helmand Province. Um, one of the first plans to to land out in the desert. Mm. Um, so I saw the Afghan campaign from pretty much the beginning to the end. I ended up doing four tours out there in, in Afghanistan and, and one in Iraq. Which uh, just to stop you there, because that's like that's significant, like. You know, a lot of people we served with that came up to the end of... So you would have served with people that were leaving the army when you joined that had done 22 years and they would have done Ireland a couple of times. They certainly wouldn't have spent... How long, how long is that? Like four years? Four tours is... How many, how many years out of the country yeah, is four, that? Yeah, I was nearly three, over three and a half years of my life yeah. uh, on the front line as well. Mm. Um, but that's what I wanted to do. That's, that's mm. why I joined and that's probably what kept me in. Yeah, And then... As you progress and as you go through the ranks, you know, I was a colour sergeant, we call staff corporal, but colour sergeant for everyone else. Mm. As I was a colour sergeant, um, you know, I was doing really well. I was looking to promote to sergeant major, and I'd done all the courses. I was very well, you know, um, respected. And and it's it's a, it's a great industry to be in when you, when you know what you're doing. You've got sort of respect around people, yeah. uh, and and there's there's always something to achieve and something and something more to do in the armed forces. There's always that next goal, that next, mm. what, what's the next promotion, what's the next thing I'm going to do? And you're always moving around and you're, you're seeing different things. So it, it can be a very exciting place if, if you want it to be. Yeah, no, absolutely. So you did, you know, you've done 18 years or something there, which is just phenomenal. I think it's incredible. Um, you did, you know, three and a half years out of, uh, out the country on operational tours like how how did that define you as a person like do you remember how you felt each time that you were coming back from tour like had you changed did you feel like you were 
getting better as a person or worse with, with things affecting you on that front? I think, to be honest, if I was, I was probably coming a lot more um, open and aware of my, you know, who who I was and who I wanted, who, who I thought I wanted to be. Mm. But I was getting a lot more closed off from the real world, so I wasn't going out and experiencing, you know, different. Uh, you know, nightlife yeah. or you know events or festivals. You know, people in the in the early twenties, what they used to do. Mm. Um, I wasn't. I didn't really care to meet new people. I didn't want new groups of friends. I I had my group of friends that you know I was going on tours with that served in my regiment, and I, that's kind of all I really wanted. Mm. But it probably isn't very healthy for you, to be honest. No, we were talking about that. To be fair, just a minute ago, like that culture of drinking and like going out into town and getting out of control and then going on the firing range the day after. And it was like this bravadery of just doing it. And it was great to just get absolutely wrecked all the time. And, I'm, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, I was serving with people that were operational alcoholics, for sure. Like, they were drinking every single day. Yeah. And it was a cool thing to do back then, which is just weird. Yeah. and When you it, think that now. There, there was, you know, we, like I say, we were just talking about it, but there was, there was some serious, you know, we, if you look back now, there's some serious issues with the fact that people were, it, it was sort of, it was real bravado. People were celebrating the fact that people can go out having 20 pints, then waking up in the morning, going for on a 10-mile run, mm-hmm. and then going on the ranges, firing all weapons, and then go back out again afterwards. It was like, you know, that was, if you wasn't doing that, you was almost seen as being, like, yeah. not quite part of the the click or yeah. the, the crowd weren't you so yeah, yeah very no. strange it's it is and it's sort of you know you didn't have the the knowledge like back then on diet or fitness to the extent that we do now and i think it's nice to know like talking to you beforehand like about how the military's changed just massively on that discipline uh, the way that you talk to each other you know i was on a doing a keynote discussion on Wednesday um, in Brighton. And, you know, I was talking about just when I left, the way I spoke to people, screaming at people and shouting at me because they're not delivering things on time. And obviously you can't behave like that. But you were sort of saying that that's changed massively now. You can't, they're not behaving like that. They're very aware of mental health in some respects, aren't they? Yeah, I I think it's just the generations coming through. They, They, you know, I remember when I first joined the army, and people would, I think, whenever you went on the course or you went mm. and done something, they'd, they'd want to know who the smokers were because they wanted to tell them where they could smoke. So put your hand up if you smoke. And you probably have two people who didn't put their hands up. Now you probably have one or maybe two people that would put their hands up if they did smoke. You know, that's sort of the younger generation just not doing, they don't want to smoke. They don't want to go out um, and drink every single evening mm. um, for I don't know, m- multiple different reasons. But it is changing. People don't, they're not joining the armed forces anymore because they have to or because they've got nowhere else to go. They're joining because they want to, because it's a good industry that they want to work in. But, but there's also lots of other options open to them. So that whole shouting culture, that whole you know, semi-bullying or, or you know, picking on people um, for multiple different reasons, it just, it just doesn't happen anymore. And I certainly, well, at least I certainly don't see it and I haven't heard about it for so when quite did a long you, time. Paul, when did you actually leave the military? So November 2020. Uh, but I'm still, very, and we'll talk about it, I'm sure, later, yeah. but I'm still very much involved with the armed forces, mm. probably more for, more so than when I was in, um, through a charity that I'm, I'm with. Yeah, no, nice. And what, you know, the run-up to, obviously, you know, 
the military is not something you can just leave. It takes time to leave. You've done 18 years. You've passed your halfway year point. You know, why didn't you stay to 22 years? Why didn't you kind of stick it out and get to the end of that period of time to sort of move on? What was the reason to leave after 18 years? Yeah, so kind of going back to the tours I'd done, um, on the first tour that I'd done, I was uh, blown up quite badly with rocket propelled grenades where it was an ambush, probably one of the worst ambushes still to date. There's actually a book written on it. Mm. And uh, only a few of us made it out alive. But the, what happened from there is when I came out of this ambush, um, which was stuck in for about 10, 15 minutes, which feels about like five hours <laughs> when you're actually in yeah. it. Um, I got taken back to Bastion because my vehicle was completely blown up. But taken back to Bastion, my, my gunner and my commander, who we were the only ones left, and we got given a new vehicle and mm. then sent back out again. And that's the last time I ever heard of it. Really? You know, um, It was quite you know, a real traumatic moment in anybody's life. Um, but at that moment in time, I thought, well, this is it. This is how it's supposed to be. Back out. Let's get back out there and, and mm. continue the fight, continue the job. Mm. Um, and not one word, even today, has ever been spoken to me about that. No one ever said that, you know, you, know, you might feel... Having a few issues later on, or you might feel this, or you know, or even just ask me if I was okay. It, that was kind of it. Um, fast forward another um, three more tours, and I was back out in Afghanistan, and I got blown up again with an improvised explosive device. Mm-hmm. Again, very very lucky to walk away. Not everyone did um, from my vehicle, and again, nothing ever got spoken about. That was it. it mm-hmm. That you know, there was no sort of um, aftercare, sort of trauma, even when the tour finished. Um, so it's that crack on attitude. It's yeah, like, just get just on with it. On. Yeah, yeah, get on with it. You'll be fine. But actually, and in my head, I was that's a, that's the same attitude that I had. But as an organisation, the armed forces, they should have more of you know uh, man management to look after people, and, and that they they have the right to do it, or they should be they should do that. Mm. But they didn't. Um, anyway, go forward another tour. I then came back and I started suffering really badly with paranoia mm. like really badly like I thought everyone was against me yeah. I thought everyone was people were following me I was checking the curtains all the time um, I, I was married at the time and she she ended up leaving me because of how bad my paranoia was and she couldn't she couldn't be around me um, and I ended up jumping on I was in the middle of London one day and I jumped on an Asian man who had a bag on his back and I just convinced myself that it had a bomb in it so mm. I jumped on him and I shouted that he had a bomb I held his hands to the ground thinking that I was saving everyone Everyone ran away. Bomb squad came in, mm. um, called in off the area. They checked. His, they checked his bag whilst I was still on top of him, holding his hands down, and then put me in handcuffs and took me away. And that was kind of like, wow, you know. I didn't realise that. Yeah. So I remember some of the boys were saying that there was some trouble there mm. in terms of you. I think on your last tour, I think there was like you know some of the boys were talking about just there was a lot of talk of it, not just with you, but there was a lot of boys that were suffering they bounce that many tours yeah. it's not normal like people i think even though it's your job it's not normal to go away that much you know you think going back 20 years even 20 30 years people aren't doing that sort of stretches of time in those sorts of foreign environments you know northern ireland was basically the thing then you've got sierra leone you've got you know um bosnia and kosovo and Iraq. very uh, bosnia and kosovo like very different mm. it's not the same like these environments are just completely and utterly different um and we're not i think we you know we were saying before that 
it's going to take a very long time for people to really understand the consequences of what we've done to the mental health of a lot of the people that you're trying to talk to now mm. because it's not even i mean how many years ago did we leave afghanistan well, it 20, was 2014 we yeah. kind of semi left it yeah semi left yeah. it and then the, the obviously yeah, the um the americans have recently just left so yeah. The consequence of us being there for that period of time is going to have a knock-on effect to people's mental health, and obviously it has had a, uh, an, um, an effect with yourself. So, does you know you you obviously went through this massively traumatic sort of time? What sort of made you realise that you needed some help, or and, and that you wanted to give help? Mm. Well, so so. Went to the police station. I was telling you after mm. jumping on that man's bag, and a big realization to me was like, you know, I kind of like just dismissed this all paranoia thinking. I knew that it was bad paranoia, but I also thought, you know, it's just it will, it will come, it will come and pass. Um, and then that was kind of like my wake up call as to like the, the severity of how far this is going to, how, how far am I going to take this? Um, so, thought of the army and all their wisdom sent me back out to Afghanistan for nine months. So, but then things, you know, which I was more than happy to do. I was like, yeah, great, get me back out there. That's where I feel comfortable sort of thing. And then when I came back, you know, it all went bad again. Mm. Um, and then the, I tried to get some help from the armed forces, which personally, you know, some people have to get, sometimes it's good for people, sometimes it worked, but for me, it didn't work. And, were, and, you know, I was clever enough to kind of pick out the reasons why it wasn't working for me. And one of the big reasons was because it was still, I was still in the armed forces environment. There is no help outside the armed forces environment if you're still surfing. So I described to my, my doctor at the time, I said, look, if I was a burns victim, you wouldn't treat me next to an open fire. Or if I was in a road traffic accident, you wouldn't treat me next to a motorway. But my trauma, whatever's happening to me, is because of the armed forces. Yeah, all the help I'm getting is in the armed forces environment. So it's mm. just not, just not going to work. So I ended up taking myself away for three months. I got the doctor to sign me off. Yeah. And I decided to, if I'm going to make this, make myself better, I'm going to do it myself. So I went away for three months and rented, rented a house in St Albans, just out of London, mm. away from the military environment. And then I just started going into YouTube, podcasts, uh, reading books, and watching as many documentaries as I can, um, everything I can to find out all any way that I can change my mindset. Did something just click, though, Paul, with that, like to help yourself? Because a lot of people can't do that. Yeah, so what what actually happened is, during this time, like, I wasn't feeling very good. I lost quite a lot of friends from our regiment uh, and other regiments mm. that t took their lives. And it was actually becoming quite crazy. Like Almost every few weeks, someone had taken their lives, which when I was younger, I never even heard of. I didn't, mm. didn't, didn't know anyone. Um, and I was living in a corridor whilst I was getting some help with a guy uh, called Joel who from our regiment. And I, was, I had dinner with him the night before. And I woke up one morning and found him. He'd taken his life and he was hanging in the corridor. And I was kind of like, wow, this is crazy. Like, I don't want to be the next person. I don't want to be, you know, whatever happened to Joel, he didn't express it. And I felt that I wasn't feeling very good at the time. I didn't want to be this next person. So I, that was kind of like my catalyst. Like, right, come on, let's go and do something about this. Let's stop, let's stop relying on other people to try and change my life. Let's do it myself. Mm -hmm. But So I was living in this house and, after, and I started looking into stuff like nutrition, fitness, affirmations, journaling, gratitude, um, just anything and anything I could do to to change, to make myself a better person. But I wasn't just looking at. I was kind of delving into it a bit deeper as to what effects does it have on the brain, what effects does it have on your mood throughout the day. Mm. And I started implementing all these different things. And within a few weeks, I 
genuinely felt better than I've ever felt in my whole adult career. Really? So good. And I was just like, educated yourself on it. Educated and actually, you know, took control myself and went and mm. went and done it and I just felt so good. And also I wasn't in that military environment wherever you know, whatever the trauma, whatever it was affecting me, subconsciously or consciously, uh, I just felt so much better. Mm. And then I started helping a few other people that I knew were struggling. Um, and I knew I knew they needed a bit of help, so I just said to them, "Look, there's some things that I'm doing, and I feel so much better for it. Can I help you? Do you, do you mind if I just give you, you know, phone you up every morning and evening and just talk you through certain a few things?" So I started helping them people, um, some other people, and then they started inviting their friends and their friends. By the time I finished my three months, I had over 30 people, and most of the people I didn't even know, uh, from all over the armed forces, Royal Marines, Paras, Navy, all sorts that I was speaking to on a regular basis and and offering all this advice to, which was making me feel good as well. Um, Because you'd filled your bucket up. That's it, yeah. Yeah, Really interesting. So how... You're obviously helping all these people which you're feeling great about. Like, what next? What were you sort of thinking? Because you're still in the army at this point. Still you left. Still it takes in, a year yeah. to leave the army. You can't just leave. No, exactly. So I, I kind of came back after these three months. I said, I'll oh, so come back to the doctor to make sure. He said, he said, look, I'll sign you off, but make sure you get back. Don't dis- yeah. disappear. Um, so I came back after three months thinking, oh, that's it. I'm in a better place now. I'm ready to progress in my career, do what I need to do. And then when I came back, um, I got called into the doctor's office um, and so a psychiatrist was there, and they made a decision to medically discharge me. And really? I, was, I was like, I don't want to be medically discharged. Look, I'm, I'm Bella. I just had a bit of a, you know, a wobble. Um, but they said no. This decision's made. We can't backtrack on it. Really. So unfortunately, I was I was being discharged, and then that's when COVID sort of happened. So yeah, of course. Um, but then when I was when COVID happens, I managed to escape to the Highlands in Scotland with a few friends. And that's when the the idea of the charity all all came together. Like, how are we gonna help people more? How can we, you know, um, not sit back and just what keep going to our friends' funerals? How can we mm. help people? Mm. So you obviously, you know, you left. You've you've had this experience of helping yourself and then helping other people, and then COVID sort of happens. You've got plenty of time to think about how you're gonna how you're gonna sort of grow this potential idea. But I think that's it, isn't it? I mean, obviously. You know, people that are listening today will very quickly realise why you're a wild card on, on this podcast and why I wanted to talk to you is because it, you don't need to listen too far on into what you've already been up to to realise the sort of person that you are and the resilience that you have. But, like, most people leave the military. My brother's a classic example. They go into private security. My brother lives in Baghdad eight months of the year or something like that. Um, and they go into operational sort of roles in big companies or finance typically that's where a lot of it, you you obviously done something completely different you mm. you've left the army and don't want to put words in your mouth you like you're, you're basically dedicating your life to help other people so like you covid you know is you know two years or something like what made you sort of think about doing it full time oh, well when i was being discharged I kind of put the word out there and I said look I'm leaving the army hmm. uh, what am I going to do um, I got a few, quite a few job offers I got some, I got um, a really good job offer out in Africa actually doing anti-poaching hmm. for big money and and I, so that was kind of what I thought I was going to do I got another offer doing some uh, some rigging somewhere um, but 
it just didn't so, something didn't feel right, you know. Mm. And I, I'm quite I'm I'm a person who kind of listens to my in 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 you know, uh, intuition, mm. kind of like listen. Does it feel right? What has a gut feeling feel? And something just didn't feel right at the time. I didn't. Um, and I think I was still kind of helping some of the people that I was helping when when I was away. Um, and then when I was up in Scotland, I ended up doing some run around the lock. I think it was like 34 miles. The furthest <laughs> I'd ever run at that moment Small in run time. Small run then, just Small, nice and light. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and when I was going around, I got that sort of um, epiphany. Just to, It just came to me. Like, you know, Why don't we set up a charity? Why don't we create a retreat where people can go to and you can learn these. So really, on this run, you just basically just, just thought, yeah, I just want to create something. This this retreat just mm. came to you like that. It just came, and I think a lot of big things come to people when they're, when they're when they're pushing wow. themselves out of their yeah, comfort yeah, yeah. zone. You know, when the people are on long runs or on triathlons or whatever it may be, uh, just something where you're taking yourself out of your comfort zone. Something happens where mm. your brain starts thinking and more logically and and open. Mm. And uh, yeah, so it all kind of came to me. And a very good friend of mine was there, who's now also part of the charity. He was with me at the time. And I went back to the lodge. And I was like, Simon, look, I have to come up with a great idea. I know how we, what we're going to do. I know that what I want to do in, in the future and how we're going to help people. Um, everything, you know, I've got it all in my head. And he was like, go down and write it. So go and write it down. So I went back into the lodge and I spent the next few hours writing everything down and how I thought, you know, everything was going to play out. And then Amazing. slowly and surely from there, we started getting the right people that we thought should be involved with charity and start getting a business plan in place and how we're going to do it. And it's, yeah, it's just a fall from there, really. Fascinating. Because you, so you've written this idea down and it's becoming a bit of a reality in terms of the vision is on paper now. Like, and it's a well. It'd be good to know what 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 is it that what what is head up. It'd be good to sort of under you know for for you to explain your own words. What is the charity and actually how it is going to um, help veterans and people that are serving in in the armed forces. Yeah, absolutely. So we are an armed forces charity. So we're there for anyone who's in the armed forces, still mm. serving from any service, and all veterans, and that's including reservists. So we don't discriminate against anyone as long as you served at some point. Mm. Um, you, you you can get help from us. We are developing a seven day positive mindset retreat. So all the sort of things that I was talking about earlier, um, stuff like nutrition, fitness, mm. eco therapies, so being outside. Um, we go into stuff like sleep, journaling, affirmations, animal therapy, where we're going to have a couple of horses and a mm. couple of dogs. Um, we do stuff like music therapy. We talk about stoicism. Um, mm. emotional intelligence just all these different things that can make pe- uh, people feel better on a day-to-day basis yeah but it's about giving them that awareness and understanding about these subjects and about how they they can utilize them in their day-to-day life because without that understanding and awareness you, you just don't know in the first no. place so our goal is to kind of just give them the basic understanding so then they can then go forward and start to implement whatever any one of these sort of subjects into their own day-to-day life so you're always giving them the tools that they need to fight all of the stuff that they're going through or have been through in order to deal with it on an ongoing basis. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So what we've also done is lots of market research as to why people are falling through the cracks. Why are people not getting help? Why are they not asking for it? Um, one of the big things, and it's sort of something I touched on earlier, was people don't want to go back into that military environment. They don't want to go there for whatever reason. Yeah. So we, apart from the people that are going to our retreats or our wellness days or whatever we got going on, they... 
apart from them, their people being in the military, you wouldn't never, you'd never know. You'd never know you'd go back in the military. There's no paraphernalia. There's no um, symbols. There's no talk about it. Uh, so it really allows people to relax. Um, it's also open up to everyone. So we're very much proactive. So we're saying it doesn't matter what your mindset is. You could mm. be in a really positive mindset or you could have some serious issues going on. Yeah. Everyone's welcome. There's no medical evaluation on people. Um, and that way, what that does is it stops people from saying, oh, I, I need help. I want to go to charity or I don't think I'm as bad as I, as, yeah, as, yeah. as someone who needs help from a charity. Mm. So, And that's where people have some serious issues because they're like, I don't think I'm bad enough to get help. So then, what you've got to wait to be really bad to get help. Let's try and let's try and stop this from no happening. Preventative sort of, yeah, exactly. So exactly. that's that's so we're, we're open to everyone, mm. and it also takes away the stigma of actually going to get help because a lot mm. of people don't want to do that. So we're taking away the stigma from it and saying that anyone can come and use our services. So we are um, we're hopefully about twelve to eighteen months away from opening up our retreat, which is going to be in in the Midlands somewhere. But in the meantime, we partnered up with Gymshark, so the clothing brand. Mm. So we do wellness days with Gymshark in London. Oh, I've seen that; it's amazing. So, yeah, re- really cool incredible. to be really cool to be working with them guys, and they're they're very much aligned with their sort of ethics and morals as yeah, to, yeah. to what we're trying to do. Um, so hopefully, to, we're trying to expand a bit more with them, and um, we've got some mini retreats going off everywhere. And everything we do is completely for free for these armed forces personnel. We don't want ever want money worries to affect people. So we'll pay for everyone's travel, pay for their stay, mm. their food, whatever it is whilst they're with us. And we can also signpost people to different organisations. So we are, we're in touch with hundreds of different organisations and charities, armed forces and civilian. Mm. And so when people come to us, we can kind of talk to them, find out a bit more about their life, what's going on, um, and then you know, point them in the right direction as to the mm. other people that can help them. So this retreat, it's free for someone to come along to. Like, mm-hmm. how how is it free? How can it be free for someone to come along? So we do a lot of uh, fundraising, whether that be individual yeah. fundraising, okay. corporate. Yeah. And um, we give talks to different organisations and businesses. So we was at for the other week. We was with um, Lloyd's Bank, with yeah. senior management. We've been with Carla Construction Homes recently. Mm-hmm. A whole bunch of different organisations, mm-hmm. and we try to when we kind of tell our story about who we are and how we can actually not just asking them for some sort of donation or some mm-hmm. sort of you know, tax relief donation, mm-hmm. but we then say, well how many veterans have you got in your organization? They've got 100, 10, 1, doesn't matter what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We say, well, your veterans can come and use our services completely for free and you're mm. going to get a better employee mm. out of that. And then oh, once nice. they hear that and they buy into the charity and, and the genuineness of us mm. and how we want to help people and actually we can also help their veterans, it's, they're a lot more um, willing to part with their, their, yeah. their money. Yeah. Part, which, is really, which, is, which is the most important thing. So this thing is becoming a reality obviously during covid time and then you've had this wild idea to do something pretty out of control to sort of raise awareness so it'd be good to sort of dig into your run your quite small run that you did over yeah. something days but yeah, yeah we love, i'd love to sort of dig into that because it's not often you get to speak to someone that has done something sort of like what you've done which is incredible but it's the amount of time it took you to do something it's an enormous it's not just you know it's an enormous undertaking physically mentally on the people around you you know you were telling me before like when you're running around the uk which i tell that people sort of 
you know, mm-hmm. you can tell the story. But staying with so many different people all over the UK, different houses every single day, putting you up for free. It's just incredible to learn and understand that people are out there helping you, but also you were putting yourself in that environment of not knowing where you're going to stay that evening and people yeah. were sort of helping you out. So what did you do when last year? Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll just summarise it for yeah. people listening just so and then we can maybe delve into it mm. a little bit more. So I um, I ended up running 5,000 miles around the UK coastlines. So the first person ever to run all the coastlines of England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, Isle of Wight and Isle of Man. So that makes it the UK. Mm. The the The... There has been a few handful of people that have run around Great Britain, but because they haven't done the Northern Ireland, it you know it, yeah. uh, there hasn't been a UK yeah. runner. So I'm the first full UK um, runner, <laughs> but I end up. How many miles is that? Five thousand. Uh, it was just short of five thousand by about 128, I think. So we can we, we can we can <laughs> round so that one up. Far. It's ridiculous. So we so it end up being six days a week for yeah. seven months, um, and that, which averaged out 30 miles a day. The shortest it was never thirty miles every day. It was it was it varied. Yeah. So the shortest run was eighteen miles, and I think the longest was forty six miles. Um, and then I end like you said, I end up staying with the whole. I didn't have a support team with me. I didn't want a support team. I wanted the general public to get involved and to start talking about the charity. The whole point of this run was to. So let's let's go back a little bit. The whole when I said I was in Scotland during the lockdown and mm. I went for a run and I came up with the idea of the charity. I also came up with how am I gonna, how are we gonna get the charity's name out there? There's so many different charities out there. How are we gonna get the name in the public eye? How are we gonna p- people know about the services that we want to provide? Mm. How are we gonna fundraise? So on that run, when I came up with the idea of the charity, I also came up with the idea of how we're gonna, how I wanted to promote it, and I and I came up with the idea of running around the UK. So when I had went back, I also wrote down about about then. Yeah. So as soon as you had the idea, you basically knew. You wanted to do something so out of control and bold mm. that it came there. That's what. That's where it started. That's it. I just thought on the run. How do I use my strengths? You know, what are my strengths? Being. A, I'm not being funny. People that aren't seeing this video, like, let's just be clear here. Like, you're. You don't look like a runner. Like, no. you're. You're not someone that you would look at and think, oh, yeah, you know, Paul's are definitely... An, you look like someone that can throw 1,500 kilos around <laughs> for fun. No, yeah. you're, not, um, you're not sort of a, a born running physique, if you will. You've no. Got, you've got other strengths come there. So, like, but you... Where did you pick up that running and the, the ability to sort of run long distances and then think, actually, I can run 5,000 miles? So, I think I'd, I've never been... A long distance. Well, I'd never be a long distance no. runner. I wouldn't even call myself a long distance runner now, even after the run I done last year. But I've always been a sportsman, so I've done everything from sailing, boxing, bodybuilding, mm. kayaking, you know, football, rugby, you name mm. it. I've I've probably had a go at it. Mm. So I know how how quickly the body can adjust and and change if you focus on that. So yeah. okay, I was never a long distance runner, but I knew with the right training and diet and and consistency that I could become a long distance runner. Um, so just for this, just for the um, that specific run, that's what I done. I trained for eighteen months. The first, the very first thing I done was I, I thought, forget about the long distance. How am I? How how would I fare running day after day after day? So I done 
um, half marathon every day for 30 days just to see what it felt like. Mm. And then that felt really good. It felt, you know, it felt really very achievable. So then I was like, well, let's, let's up it a little bit more. Mm. Then done 20, 20 miles a day for 20 days. Yeah, and it's just, that, it's just yeah. that progressiveness and, and seeing how it felt. And I told you earlier, I ended up getting a coach, one of the best UK ultramarathon running coaches, and a lady called Carla Molinaro, if mm. anyone's into their running. And I was very, very fortunate that she decided to coach me for 12 months and I learned so much from She's her. She's an ultra runner. She's a, yes, probably the UK's best ultra marathon runner. It's incredible. So, so you had female. that... that you were, she's obviously incredible in her own right, and she's been able to sort of help you understand what where you needed to. So, what where did it start with her? Like she, she's obviously looked at your physique, how you're running, and she's gone and done sort of similar sort of things. She's run, was it where? where did she? What did she, she do? Yeah, she broke the um, Lands End of John O'Groats um, world record by ten hours or something mm-hmm. like that. It was just That's incredible. Cool incredible and then so she helped your training yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. 12 months 12 months of coaching me and just giving me advice advice coaching um showing me how to do how to train properly and we spoke earlier about actually what we knew my average was going to be about 30 miles a day mm-hmm. and the longest i ever ran with her maybe once a week was 14 12 to 14 miles never even went to the halfway you know 15 mile point um, just because that's not how you train it's just mm. not it's just not necessary and if she hadn't have come along i would have been running 20 25 mile runs almost every day because i would have thought that's how do you how think I you would have failed at that task if you had done if you hadn't had that help from from her no i don't think i would have failed um, you would have it might have been it would have mean probably a lot more because when i done my run i i genuinely thrived on it i loved it really? I, enjo- I enjoyed probably 90% of the run my, you never my, thought at any point no, I'm not feeling it today. With the rains coming down in Scotland, freezing cold. This is where the tra- this is where being in the army for 18 years helps, mm. because I knew at the end of every day I was gonna have be in a house, a building with a warm shower, and you know, Alex, we were reconnaissance soldiers, <laughs> right? So we were used to being outside. In mm. you know, we thrived in cold wet conditions if the the more it was raining and windy and and cold the better for us because it meant that we could sneak up closer to mm. the enemy and, and and spy on them and get in, get intelligence mm. so for us cold wet you know and we'd be out there for weeks at a time where i knew i'm going to have a warm shower at the end mm. of every day so i didn't care how much so it was constant just positive mindset just like you know this isn't going to last forever mindset it's just a period of time and yeah. it's going to come to an end yeah and there's a, there a phrase i use almost every day to myself and to other people and that is pain is temporary and pride is forever mm. so in and you can use that in any sort of context whether that be a physical mental emotional psychological context you know that that pain is going to be there but it won't last but if you can conduct yourself in a way you can push through that with mm. a, you know for me for myself on that running front i was hurting so much at different points and it's like i just knew that if i just keep pushing through it in a, in a day uh, a week two weeks that pain will be gone I'll, I'll probably even forget about that whole situation but i still got that pride because i'm i'm still there i'm still making each day as it as it comes so you're doing this you're doing this run you set off you're getting a lot of press i mean you're on the news bbc news GMTV, I mean, you were being interviewed by everybody, which was incredible. Um, the commitment's there now. The pressure's there. You know, you've you've said publicly that you're going to do something, so you've got that. But it doesn't sound like that was any, that was just great for you to have that pressure so that you knew you were going to undertake that, that sort of enormous task. 
like how did you how did you go about planning it all like running around the the coastline like where are you staying where yeah, what are you eating like give a bit of a picture of yeah. like how many calories were you burning a day and how many did you need to get in because you're running a lot you know running all day basically well, the, the the rubbish thing is i never had anyone to really go off you know no one really done this before so <laughs> I, you know i spoke to a couple actually very nice people two guys that ran around the britain i've spoken to them um, but they weren't covering the sort of mileage um, and in the, in the time frame that I was doing it in. Really? They done them in. They done it in like um, a year and a half sort of time, mm. where I was doing it in seven months. Because um, so a few people said they wanted to be my support team because it was a, it was a new world record. So people, some people got quite excited after seeing me on BBC News, and they they offered to be my support team, whether that be for certain legs or for mm. the whole the whole thing. But I said no. I wanted to be part of. I wanted the general public to be involved in this as much as possible because i'm talking about the charity and the organization so i started asking people if basically the first thing i've done is i plotted my route so i knew exactly where i was going to stop every single day and that took a long time mm. and then i started asking people uh, if they knew anyone in these areas that i could stay with because i wanted to stay with different people i wanted to, be- to become a real adventure and in- involve as many people as possible uh, so i was very fortunate to I've had every single area that I went to covered by people willing to really generous people putting me up, complete strangers. Most people I didn't even know of, and it was only a couple of times out of the two hundred different families that I stayed with that it's I knew them. Isn't it? I mean, you so nice. That. And so I stayed I stayed with everyone, laws, MPs, teachers, fishermen, veterans, just every single different um p- people you can think of, uh, from different industries. And, and all these people you like, they were friends of Friends or friends, friends, or someone who just seen seen it on the news, or listened to it on local radio. Amazing, Uh, and it's just everyone just and they really went out, you know, and to help me. They they might drive to a certain spot, come pick me up. Wait, they might even be waiting me for me for me for a few hours. Quite often, they'd bring um, crowds of people to come cheer me in, and (laughs) it was really nice. They'd take me home to their, uh, you know, wherever they lived with their families, and. They cook me dinner and ha- offer me showers, cook me breakfast in the morning, take me back again. And within them, that short period of, what, eight to 12 hours of meeting them, we form really strong bonds, you know. Mm. And we talk about everything over dinner. Mm. Um, just super friendly people, really nice. And it really made the, the experience what it was, really. Really. Um, but, yeah, so running around, burning calories. I think I was burning something like between five to 7,000 calories most running days. Uh, I was just trying to eat as much as I can. Thankfully, on the coastlines, there's lots of fish and chip shops, so <laughs> lots and lots of chips was consumed by myself. Fascinating. Uh, That's a lot of calorie burn. Mm. That. So, were you? How did your body feel like throughout that ordeal? Was there any? Uh, you know, was there times where you had niggles or pains that you needed to have medication, or did you? You know, were you putting like those thorough boots things on to sort of get oxygen into your, you know, your your blood, and like constricting it, uh, your your muscles to sort of help them relieve after, you know, running for thirty miles in one day and then getting back up to do it again and again and again. Yeah, well, I say I say the, to answer those questions, the very very first bit was my coach Carla. She kind of said to me, when you start for the first 
two, maybe three weeks, because I was wearing a bag, it was like 10 to 12 kilogram bag on my back with all my kit in that I needed to change into technology stuff, etc. water, so you, food. Yeah, because that's, that's something I haven't mentioned here, or you haven't, like, you weren't just running 5,000 miles around the, the coastline, you were running 5,000 miles around the coastline with a 12 kilo backpack on, mm. with a flag at the top, with yeah. a charity. <laughs> two meter flag yeah. pulling me around the <laughs> yeah. Door, yeah. Yeah, so it, it, there, there were so many different aspects to it. But she said to me, Paul, you're just gonna, you're gonna hurt so much in these first few weeks while your body goes through the shock and starts to adjust. Mm. He said, you're gonna think you're injured. She went, unless you really are injured, just push through it. She went, unless you've broken a bone or you you felt something snap mm. or muscle ping, she went, just push through it because that that pain in your hip will move to your knee in a couple of days and that knee will move to wherever. She went, it's very common in multi-day athletes, um, really? endurance athletes. She's, she, and she was right. I had so many problems. I was like, Carla, look, there's something wrong with my hip flexor. It's really bad. She went, no, just keep running. She really? Just keep running, run through it. And then two days later... Was that be, quite quick into the run? So like a few days, a week. Really? But don't forget, after within one week, I'm, I'm already racking up like 150 miles, mm. You know, sometimes more. So it's a lot of mileage um, over this sort of terrain that I was going over. So come the third week, and I was having some real like pains in my knees and my my legs, and she just kept saying, Look, "Just push through it, just keep running." Mm. And come like yeah, after that third week, everything just started to click into place, and I started to feel a lot better, and my body just got used to it. And so she was absolutely right. So thankfully, hearing what she had to say uh, really did help. Fascinating. That's just can't even get my head around that. No, no, it's it's there, there was so there was just so many different aspects to it, but. The most important thing, you know, I after what I think maybe it was, maybe it was about the third or fourth week, mm. I ended up slipping in in the shower and cracking two ribs. No. Yeah, so <laughs> to, thankfully they were back ribs, but it still hurt a lot. I didn't get sleep for, for for a few days. But just sort of using that phrase that I said before, like pain is temporary, just mm. keep pushing through it. Thankfully I had a friend running with me at the time. Uh, he, kept, he kept me company. So I got bitten by a snake, by an adder, when I was in Essex. <laughs> yeah, I ended up running through like a nest of them. I knew I was in them, but nothing I could do. And then I just felt a big ping in my leg. Um, it didn't really do too much, apart from made me feel tired at night. So I had really? a good, good night's sleep. Woke up in the morning, all fresh, good to go. And it just, I had a big bruise around my leg and the two fang, fang marks. So but you, when, you, when you were running, you sort of your body's getting used to this now. It's sort of like this is the new standard. This is the new routine. Yeah running for that many hours and you know gaining a lot of awareness obviously you're getting a lot of press here on people sort of listening and understanding about mental health for for veterans and people that are serving in the military and how they're they're not looked after at the moment and well they can definitely things can definitely be improved yeah. on that front um at what point did it you know as you sort of come into the end of the run well, first off, you had a plan because I remember you were saying, I'm going to run it in. It wasn't just a seven months. I think you were, you were planning to do it in a year. Mm. And then you kind of knocked that down significantly because it was 200 something days, wasn't it? Yeah, it was 214 days, something like that in the end. But it was just constantly, just, it was just because of the amount of time away. I mm. wanted to shorten it. Mm. I just didn't want to be out for nine months or a year. Um, it's just too far because I'm, I'm also running the charities and running around. Mm. Yeah. You know? Um, I think we spoke. We said earlier that I was giving talks 
I wasn't just meeting these new families and running 30 miles a day. I was in, at the end of most days, I was going off and giving talks to and having business meetings with organisations and companies and uh, military establishments and schools and colleges. So I was really trying to spread the word as much as possible and utilising that time and the sort of media attention that I'd had mm. to get the word out there as much as possible. Yeah. And did you... Because failure has not come into your head at any point. No. It's just not even... Like, what's your sort of thoughts on failure? Well, I'm a big believer in manifestation, so I right. be- I I believe that what That's you so think funny about you say that because I was at a, I was at the high performance podcast last night listening to it and and Roxy Nafusi was there and she was on stage doing a uh, a keynote talk mm. on manifestation because she's written a book she's written a book on it and she was talking about I think it's the five or six things that you need it's the first time I've ever heard of it yeah. so what, what is it the manifestation is basically just what you what you attract into your life mm. through whether it be thoughts or actions so for me people would always say what's, what's your plan if this happens and that happens and all these sort of negative medical plans and I'm like I, I don't have one if it happens I'll deal with it at the time you know as long as you're flexible and willing to adjust mm. at that moment in time which a lot of people in the armed forces are that's how we're trained then you're fine but I feel like the more I, I worry about something, what's the point of worrying about something if it hasn't happened? And the you know, and again, failure. If you're worried, if I'm if I'm thinking about okay, if I fail, what happens next? What happens after that? Um, again, that as far as I'm concerned, you're manifesting it in. You're almost planning. You're always ready for it to happen. So there's no point. So uh, it's almost like, yeah. I mean, I was speaking about this the other day. Actually, really, it's sort of reminiscing a bit over it. You don't go into something to fail. You go into something to succeed. It's sort of like there isn't no plan, plan B. It's yeah, and, and if something the bad happens, one way. Yeah, if something, but if I fall off a cliff and break my leg, then it's like you haven't failed. You just you can pick it back up in nine months' time when your legs healed or something. Yeah, you know there is there's no point in over planning or, or worrying. But I guess maybe what you're talking about is if oh, what other people fall off is if it just got too much for me. And I was like, this is too much. I can't deal with it. Because it, it was it was super um, energetic. There was so much going on every single day. It was There was never a time to just relax and have a, a minute to myself. Oh, apart from when I was running, maybe. But, yeah, so, uh, no, again, the purpose behind the run was so strong. So how and do you know where you were going, though? Yeah. Because, like I say, like, when I, I switch off, when I know the route, like when I'm running, I don't even think I'm just running because it's a uh, co- unconsciously I just know the route. But you don't know the route. Mm. You're just following, flipping. You're following the like. Well, line. I had, I have, I did have a uh, route planner that I already planned all the routes ish to to a point to an extent to an extent. But again, again, I just broke up every day and thinking, right, what an adventure this is going to be. I wonder where I'm going to go. The <laughs> amount, the amount of different fields I had to cut through, the amount of cliff edges I had to jump over, the fences, <laughs> the amount of times I came to an estuary expecting it to be empty and it was filled Fill up. and it was yeah, it was getting filled and filled. And I was like, so great, I'm going to have to run eight miles around really? to the next bridge and come back down another eight miles. So that's another sixteen miles on today's run. You know that happened so much; it was unreal. Really? Um, yeah, but then it was an adventure. You just don't know what's going to happen. And sometimes I'd find a little a fisherman or an oyster picker on, in his little boat, and I'd shout out to him and ask him if he could take me across, and he'd take me across, or all sorts of different things happen. Uh, and yeah, I wasn't overly fussed or worried about the route. If I, I had it in my head, if I had to run a few extra miles, I had to run a few extra miles. It's, it doesn't matter. 
And did you, like, did your family come down and, and sort of at any point, or is it just because you're just wandering, like it's just getting further and further away from home? Mm. Just difficult. Was Chrissy there, your your girlfriend? Yeah, you? Chrissy was so lovely. She came and met me seven different times, so pretty really? much once once a month. Um, so on my run, I had thousands of people that came out to support me. Lots of kids, schools, and, and came out and you know gave me sweets and uh, water. Held up banners saying "Go on, Paul." Mm. Uh, but o- over seven hundred people, different people were coming around with me, which was really nice. Um, everything from I think the youngest was a, a seven-year-old girl, and the eldest was a seventy-four-year-old man um, from all different dis- um, distances. So the, uh, I think the longest run was ten days. Someone stayed with me, really, yeah, uh, which was really nice of them. And then the shortest time someone was, was, was with me was a hundred meters. A lady just said oh, she's seen it on the news. She'd been waiting for me to come past the <laughs> area. Um, she can't run at all, but she's going to try and keep up for as long as possible so I think yeah. she lost about 100 metres and then waved goodbye uh, but no it was just so nice to meet people all the way mm. along uh, some people stay for the whole day some people stay for a few few yeah. hours or just mm. a few miles so uh, you're coming at the end of it then so you you know you're, you're you know you're planning for the end of the run is it a euphoric moment is it sort of setting in that this thing's going to end or is it a bit of a depressing one um, a bit of both, I guess. Mm. A bit of both. I was enjoying it so much, but it was so intense. Like the the intensity of it was crazy. So I just wanted. I, I was never able to just go into a place, kick my shoes off, and put my feet up, and just watch TV and eat crisps. You know, because mm. I was with someone's family. So each day was just. I had to be on my best behaviour. Really, couldn't relax. No, no I hadn't, and I hadn't been able to. Which and I, it was fine because I was in that moment. And mm. I knew I'd put myself there, and I was willing to do that. But I just couldn't wait to go home and just be a slob just for one day, you know, mm. and just do what I wanted to do. Mm. Um, but then at the same time, I was really enjoying it. It was the best time in my life. I was doing everything that, you know, I kind of preached to people how they should be. Mm. I was pushing, I was pushing myself outside my comfort levels every day. I was doing something uncomfortable. I was in nature. I was surrounded by animals, by sea, because sea's water is such a big um, mm. healer for people. I was by the sea, I was socialising, mm. I was deep breathing, I was you know, getting up early, I was having a route, some sort of routine. Yeah. So everything was really good every single day for several months. Um, so, but, and I knew that when I was going to stop, it was going to, you know, there was could, there the potential of being a bit of a wall, hitting mm. some sort of wall. And, um, but the biggest sort of worry for me was my my adrenaline levels, my dopamine levels were so high every single day because I was doing this, all these long distance running that just stopping was going to cause, you know, some sort of problem. Um, and it did, it took me a good two or three months to really, really? adjust that my chemical levels, hormone levels to, to rebalance. It did take a little while, but because I was aware of it, it yeah. wasn't as bad as what other people have experienced. Interesting. And it's ended, like you've, you've done it now. You've obviously accomplished something absolutely incredible that very few people are even going to bother probably trying to do that because it's these these things are they take weird and wonderful uh very weird people to go and do that let's yeah. just be honest like people don't just think oh i'm gonna it's normally just a it's a running thing it's like oh, i'm gonna do running marathons for so long it's not or you know like ned brockman that's ran across australia mm. i don't know how many miles that is yeah that's a lot I mean, and running is just one one 
way of doing it, isn't it? And it does it is. multiple different things, and it doesn't even have to be sports. And you know, one of the things I actually want to ask you a question, Alex, because oh. you know you're one He's of these. His wild card. Your, your, your wild card is being fully <laughs> slammed down right now. Because one of the, Hit you know, me. you're one of these wild and wonderful people. And uh, I, I remember being a young soldier, 17 years old, coming into D Squadron, the Household Cavalry Regiment, and everyone in that regiment, in that squadron specifically, were quite, there was something about them, wasn't there? And they were in that squadron for a reason. They were quite tough. They were quite they were fit, strong lads. They were always going out every single evening. And I remember going into this eight-man room. Uh, I, I, I used to be, come up, I come from like a boxing background, so I was quite fit, and I didn't smoke, and I didn't really drink too mm. much. I loved the fitness, I loved eating healthy, and now all of a sudden I'm like being dragged down the pub every single afternoon of every single day, um, and if I was very much, I very much got caught up in that culture very quickly, so all of my, all my, my sort of like plans and ambitions kind of left me. But I remember you used to come out sometimes, and you know you very much be in the mix with guys, but then you would go back, and I'm I'm pretty sure, correct me if I'm wrong, you'd be going back and you're studying and you're looking forward to you know your future career and how you're going to progress it where ev- i'd say a good 99 percent of the people in the certainly our regiment and the people that i was surrounded with at the time they would be focused solely on that moment in time they're not looking forward to the future they're not looking at what who am i going to become what am i going to do they're just living for that moment as a soldier mm. with all their friends around them going to the pub working hard and playing hard but you had a different sort of mindset um, did you know that you had a different sort of mindset then? Was you, was you planning to kind of like be where you wanted to be right now? Did you have that vision? Yeah, interesting. Um, I so there was loads of setbacks. Like I remember, so when I joined, I always knew I wanted to. My vision was to be a British Army officer, but I didn't. I couldn't. I didn't do the school thing. So it was like I needed to do late entry, which for those people that don't know, like you have to do a certain amount of time and really you need to have done an operational tour. So as I was doing my career and I wanted to do SF, like I wanted to do special forces. So for the first three years of my military career, it was like I'm doing SF, like 100% met Laura. That made me very mm-hmm. weak and I wasn't going to go and do yeah. all that in some respects. It was like I want to spend time at home. I want to be with her. I want to sort of go through... Um, with running a different route on that front. So it, it changed from military cut me, I'm bleeding green, to actually the military thing was something that was sort of brought on me. Dad was like, you you, you know, officer, 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 officer. He wasn't in the military. Um, and then when I realised for myself, when I was in Iraq, I was like, I don't want to, be an officer I don't even want to be here like you said then I didn't enjoy I enjoyed bits of it you know I loved going skiing and spending all my money and Mm. getting drunk and but I also loved doing really well skiing and I loved doing well in the army because it brought that competitive thing out but I think as soon as I realized for myself that I didn't want to be there when I I wanted to do something else it then became clear of putting that mindset together of like you need to you, you need to put everything you can into starting something you know how are you going to start a company like how are you going to do these sorts of things there's no way you, there's no there's no money to get from your family there's no 
cotton wool to land on. I'd left home at that point. I'd left home at 17, 16, 17. Like, as soon as I left the army, I'd left home. Um, there was no room in the house anymore. My mum had moved and, you know, it, it, the, the house had my brother and sisters in it and it was, like, too small for me to go back. So there was no choice. It was like, like what you said before when you were doing your run, there's no plan B. It's like, I need to start something. So when I was sort of planning and thinking about what I wanted to do, it was all in. Like you were just mm. saying there, it was all in. I didn't know where I was going, but it was, there was no grand vision of starting companies and, and, and you know, say even companies, starting a company and, and it wanted to get to, it was more, I need to take control of my own destiny and I'm the one that can do it and only me. Like, and, you know, listening to, I think it's David Goggins that says it actually. I think he says like, when you boil it really down, it's only you that can do it. You know, when when I ring my mum up and she's given me some sympathy for something, mm. you know, she's she, she doesn't. It's me that needs to do it all. It's me that is going to go uh, on stage, or it's me that's going to make that difficult call. It's me that's going to uh, have to do the horrible things, the hard things. It's not anyone else that can do it for you. It's that it's the, that path needs to be walked by myself. I can't let I can't let anyone else do it. You know, and every all these people around me can give me support, but really it's you it's on you and i think there is definitely no way i had any vision on doing something bigger than what it became and it wasn't you know my my first business was a very small business that i ended up selling but and going bankrupt in the same process of doing it but so i failed on that front Mm. i did fail on it but it it wasn't uh it was a realization of knowing that for me only can I do it it wasn't for anyone else because I was doing something for someone else I was doing it for my dad really and as soon as I realized actually I don't want to be doing it for my dad because I'm me not my dad he was trying to live his life where he didn't go into the military he was trying to live it through me and my brother I realized I was like actually I don't want to do that like it's not I don't want to be in the military anymore and Mm. I I admire like you like massively like 18 years my granddad did 22 24 Mm. years Uh, my brother did eight or nine years so when there's there's two ways of looking at it. like one thing I'm, I'm sort of like have massive affirmation for people that have um stuck at something for a really long time and then other times it's like you know i've got admiration for people that have had to just go no that's not for me i yeah. need to switch mm. it's so difficult isn't it, with failure like failure and just moving on and knowing when things are right to just change because there's been journeys in this um this business that have had enormous change like my best mate at one uh, last year wanting to move on and it's like okay we've had a business for we've been in business for 12 years and there's a separation point and, and, and is that right for me only i can make that decision or only you can make that decision yeah, yeah. so it's a difficult thing of realize what do you want what do you want as a person and how do you want to feel and you found hopefully that's answered your question but it's you've found your need and i've i've found it with Tillo definitely yeah. at the moment. not just myself there's many people in the army of veterans that, I, that, we, that, we, that we've got mutual friends of and we're all like super proud of what you achieved but you do really inspire a lot of people because you know it is you inspired us to actually go oh let's let's look at what Alex has achieved whilst we were all down a pub going a bit crazy and a bit mad all the time you were still in the mix but just not as you know you had a bit more of a vision and a bit more awareness about yourself 
And actually, it's allowed a lot of people to go, oh, you know, Alex has achieved that because he knuckled down. That's, why don't we all do that? Mm-hmm. You know, I, as when I was coming up with the charity, I thought about you quite a lot and about what you've achieved and what you're still achieving. And uh, it just gave me a bit more confidence and you know self awareness of, of of who I was and how I was going to achieve it. So it because it, it's hard. It's amazing to hear that, and I really thank you for that comment. But it's 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 quite. It gets harder as you get as it gets bigger because you you have this these shoulders to sort of have things rest on and think people just rest things on them, and like it just gets harder, way harder. And in the early days, you don't think too much of it. But as it gets bigger, you're sort of like expected to do certain things. And it's it's hard to take those things on board, I think, sometimes okay. where you realize, well, I really appreciate you sort of saying that. But same to you, mate. Like, you're, you've accomplished something incredible. You've broken a world record. You've now dedicating your life to sort of helping people. Mm-hmm. This retreat is fully underway. You've got, you told me, you've got an engineer, this this ex-army uh, guy who's basically committed one point seven five million pounds yeah, to building this project. Yeah, and now you're just looking for a bit of land for that to happen. So if anyone else is out there who's got a bit of land they want to give to Paul and the the charity, <laughs> yeah. then please reach out. But you're, you know, you've you've you're accomplishing it. You're you're. 80% in this now you've just got to fulfill this last bit and you're going to make this a reality yeah I mean we're, we're almost there we're really almost there um, we're way ahead of where we thought we'd be in, in lines of, of, of targets and goals and you know we're already doing stuff like I say you know wellness days mini retreats we give talks we get you know we take people away to different areas so we're already doing a lot but our main vision is we're so close to it um, and like you say, it's a, it's a long-term thing. I learned a long-term goal, and it this doesn't belong to me. It's a charity, so it belongs to everyone. Um, and I, and it, like you say, it is selfless, but at the same time, you know, I've, I'm also doing something that helps my mental health, my mental well-being, mm. and me helping people and talking about positive mindset um, techniques and methods is something that it keeps it in my the forefront of my mind, making sure that I'm doing it as well. Mm. So there is also a selfish point, but in a in a, in a positive way. Absolutely, no, absolutely. So if you if you um, look at you know what you what you've achieved with the charity, and actually, um, I've been told that you're looking you're you're doing something new. There's a new there's a new challenge that's that's on the horizon. So I'm I'm super intrigued because I don't know what it is. Like you, you've you've st- you start the charity. You're, you're dedicating, you know, a lot of time and effort into sort of helping all, you know, lots of people that need it. What's made you sort of think you need to do something else? I look at the psychological in- reasons to everything I do. I try to. I'm not. I'm not a neuroscientist or anything like that. But I do listen to a lot of podcasts and read a lot of books. And I always try and think of why. What makes me do something? What 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 makes me be a better person? And I think that to have a challenge set up whether it be five months you know, 12 months two years down the line whatever it is to have something there it's it gives you that purpose and to go for that run at, um, at the end of the day where you've had a busy day and you're like well i can't be bothered i'm gonna, I'm gonna watch tv but actually knowing that you've got something coming up you're like okay you know, let's get up out of bed or let's let's get off the sofa and let's go and do this run or go for a swim or whatever it may be so i always like to have something some sort of challenge to give me the purpose to to get up and do and do some activity um so 
I done my run. There's now four other people involved with the charity, and to be involved with this charity, you have to do something big, some, something you know, quite groundbreaking. So the next guy, Simon Maloney, who also was in HCR and health recovery, he's going to climb Mont Blanc. He gets down from there. He goes. He does. He does 800 kilometer cycle to Calais, then kayaks a channel to Dover, and he runs from Dover to London. So that's his that's his challenge. Uh, the other two, Adam and George, are going to row the Atlantic at the end of the year, three thousand oh. miles. Oh and then another, the new newest member, uh, Justin Davis, who is a double above knee amputee. Um, we can see what he's going to do, but he loves mountaineering, so he might do something to do with Everest. Mm. Um, but he also is a very good um, hand cyclist, so he might do something around the UK actually, really cycling around there. So we'll see. Have what you seen the guys in Pilgrim, Pilgrim Bandits that have just come back from base camp? Yes, so, yes, so, I think, yeah. Compo's Compo there, was and on all it. the guys are there, aren't they? Which yeah. is amazing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, fantastic. So we'll see what he does. But so once they've all finished their challenges, I don't want to, you know, keep throwing myself in whilst they've got theirs going on. But they should be finished within eighteen months. And I want. I've got a world record pretty much set up ready to go and it's flipping an 80 kilogram tractor tire the length of a marathon so <laughs> you kind of asked me early you said oh, you know you put on a bit of size so i'm starting to prepare my body yeah. ready for this now well i'm just like you know i'm sat here and for people that are just listening you know paul's arms look like they're <laughs> you know they're out of control right now they're like my thigh <laughs> and, and, and some <laughs> they, they need to go a bit bigger so 80 kilo how are you doing that what what's the setup so i've spoken to the guinness world records for some reason they won't let me do it on my own i need to do it with one other person so i've got someone in mind he doesn't know about this yet <laughs> quite he's a semi semi-famous person um but he he fits the bill perfectly i won't say who is on live on air um because I'm 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 in the process of trying to approach him. Right, okay. So, but he's you know he'll bring a lot of attention to it. So um, now that I've done my world record challenge, you know, I, hopefully I've got a bit of substance behind me. Amazing. Um, so it, it, we have to do it alternatively. So one person flips, the other person flips, and if so, say for example, you get to 26 miles with 200 meters to go, one person's back goes. That's it. The challenge is over. So you need to make sure you've got the right person next to you. Mm. And it just, what I'll probably do is just our charity is. A, the RAF, the Royal Air Force uh, Typhoon Display Team's charity of the year this year. So we're kind of in with them. So we're probably going to use their airstrip and make a big event of it, have different things going on in, in the airbase where people can come in and they can do have you different challenges. Have you estimated how long that will take? I think we've done a bit of estimation through a bit of tyre flipping and kind of trying to work out the maths and I think it would be something, somewhere between 32 to 38 hours non-stop. So up and down an airstrip is constantly going up and down. Moving my legs. Oh, legs, back, Proper. shoulders. Yeah. yeah. It's everything. It's everything. So I, we, haven't, we haven't quite worked out the stipula- stipulations of bandaging and strapping, but yeah. we'll, we'll see how far we can get away with that as well. Mate, you're an absolute legend. Honestly, <laughs> I think it's a nice time to sort of wrap up there. Paul, honestly, mate, not, I mean, inspiring is, is not even the word to come close to sort of um, to use here, but, you know, Really proud of you, brother. Uh, it's lovely to have you on board uh, the podcast and sort of explain your story and some of the things that you've been up to. It's, in- it's incredible. Um, really enjoyed the discussion. And I hope everyone um, that's listening has got the same sort of bargain feel to maybe want to go and flip a tyre <laughs> the entire a marathon distance or, or something else. But, um, yeah, amazing to have you on board. Thank you, mate. Thank you, Alex. And if you don't mind, I just want to finish by saying if anyone wants to find out a bit more about... N- 
not just a charity for armed forces, but you don't have to be in the armed forces. Go to our website and we talk about all different alternative therapies. So if any of this takes interest uh, for you, you know, anyone can use these different techniques. So go onto our website. And there's a whole list of all the different things we do and it just tells you a bit more about them. And then just put yourself in there and go and give them a go, give them a try. If it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. Nice. But at the same time, you might find something that just really changes your life and makes you feel like a, a, a much better person or just progresses you somehow in life. So yeah. go into our website, check it out and see if it's for you. We'll put the banner on the bottom. So, yeah, you'll be able to see it there for everyone. That's Fantastic. Great Paul, you're a top man. Cheers, mate. Thanks, Alex. There it is. You've heard Paul Minter in his own words talk about not only his new world record attempt he's going to do, but his 5,000 mile run that he did around the UK, his 18 years service in the British Army. Super keen um, for you guys to listen into this podcast, not just because it's really close to my heart, because I was in the British Army as well, but because Paul is also a very dear friend of mine. So without any further ado please do listen to the podcast and excited for you guys to be delving into a lot of the tips and tricks that paul has been up to to get him through to where he is today so thank you please follow us on social media uh so we can keep the conversation going and sign up via all the different channels that we're on hashtag is wildcards podcast you can also subscribe to our podcast and be the first to kind of hear every episode that are being released so yeah hopefully he'll speak to you all soon thank you mm-hmm.